Indeed, there are more questions than answers. Hi, America. Hello, world. My name is Adrian Lee, and I am your host. This is an episode we're going to do specially for our patrons. So I just want to thank everybody that contributes to the show, no matter how large or how small. We appreciate what you do for us, and you allow this show to run. Of course, we do have lots of costs, the studio costs, and we'll discuss the studio a little bit later. We get through lots of paper. All of the platforms you find us on cost money so we appreciate your support so several weeks ago we asked our patreon followers on our show and on our facebook if they had any questions to ask any members of the team they could write to me and they have written to me we have a long list of questions today we're going to get through as much as we can so joining me tonight is michelle cory hello chad peters hey and heather morris sup the whole of the MQ. She says that. She's wearing a baseball cap back to front and a Beastie Boys t-shirt. She's pretty gangster. 25 years too late, though, I might add. It's never too late. So we have some questions that we need to get through tonight. And we're going to have some fun. And this is just for you. So we're going to jump straight in. By the way, I'm going to call this section More Answers Than Questions. Oh, I like I it. I thought that was very subtle. Yeah. I make no promises. You make no promises, Mm-mm. what, for being subtle? Or for giving you answers. Perfect. <laughs> Looks like we run our own, doesn't it? <laughs> to start the ball rolling, not in any particular order, but we're going to start the ball rolling. John, Lisa and Michael ask the same question. So there is a collective consciousness out there, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> Jung was right, huh? Oh. Controversial. Early use of the inappropriate bell, madam. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get our Patreon listeners drunk before we, we get started. John, Lisa, and Mike, who seem to share a collective consciousness, ask the question, how did we all meet one another? So, Michelle, talk to me about how you met Chad. How did that happen? I met Chad through some friends. I actually know his parents very well. Yeah. yeah. We are from the same town. This is going back well, many years, is it? How long have you known each other? Not Mora, where I was born and raised, but um, at Mountain Lake. Really? Just how, down how long the road. ago? What, a long time ago? Or? Yeah. Like 20 years, 30, well, Chad's not, Chad's a whippersnapper. Yes. <laughs> so unless you saw him when he was riding around on a tricycle on a I pair did. of shorts. You did. I did. <laughs> you didn't aim for him in your car. <laughs> <laughs> Mistakes were made yes, on that yes. drive-by. Do you remember the encounter, Chad? Do you remember meeting Michelle for the first time? Was the it first been- time? I don't. No. Um, I do remember her parents, though, from... Oh, I would say I was in my teens. Sure. Right. So you have a, a... How did you meet um Heather initially, Michelle? Was that through work? How yes. Did you... We work. 
work, work at together. the same post office. It's the same hill. <laughs> I met you, Chad. I think I met you probably, I'd say, six or seven years ago now, around a fire pit in town. I think yep. we were out at some sort of collective function where mm-hmm. you, there was a fire pit. I think we shared a cigar, maybe. Sure. Um, yep. Yep. You were mm. both token on the same cigar. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, I, said it, I, I don't want to be disrespectful for the people that were there, but in my line of work and where I live, it would be fair to say that all the people around that fire pit are farmers or wives of farmers. So to suddenly come across someone who had a background in psychology, you know, was quite interesting. So I do remember having some conversations with yeah, you, Yeah, it, it led to some great conversation. That was an interesting night. So uh, that was that's how I recall that. Miss Morris, we met about 10 years ago, I suspect. We did. You were introduced to my team. I was in Britain at the time, and I've got teams all over the world. Mm-hmm. And you were brought into my team... Without my knowledge, I might add. Because I'm were, sneaky you like that. Into the team. Well, I expect all these teams to run autonomously. I don't have to be in charge of everything. But I suddenly looked at the team I had in the Midwest and you you, you were in it. That's right. So, Actually, it was my sister and I, Ashley. Ashley as well. And Ashley's been on some of the very early editions of this show. She, she's, yeah, mm-hmm. she's been around and she's been in the studio from time to time. She is a member of the International Paranormal Society. We had our own team. Which was Hellhound Investigations way back when. I think the first time I knew of Michelle was probably about three or four years ago because your mother was having a yard sale. Yes. And I rolled up uh-huh. in the yard. Yeah. And rifled, my mom has a great rummage sale every year. And I thought, well, your crap can be my crap. That's right. So I rummaged through all your underwear and all of your clothes. Yep. And, uh, you bought and you all of it. Them to this day. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And they, they've kept they me very great. happy on some very cold, lonely winter's nights in Minnesota. So there we go. That's how we all caught up with one another. Have I missed anything? Does that sound reasonable? No, we're good. Good question. And hurrah for collective consciousness. Mm-hmm. One down. Next. Oh, John and Lisa, <laughs> they're Patreon followers sure. and they live in the uh, Buffalo Lake area of Minnesota. Uh-huh. They have asked, how has the equipment you used in investigations changed over the years? There we go. Mm-hmm. I would say several things. Firstly... There isn't a great deal of difference in what we do now compared to how things were done back in the day. So if you think of Henry Price exploring Borley Rectory in Essex, alleged to be the most haunted building in the whole of Britain in the 1930s, he was using magnetic tape and recording stuff. Well, I'm still recording stuff. It's just I'm now using a digital voice recorder. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was taking photographs, but obviously had a black and white film and a box camera. But I'm now taking photographs with a digital camera. So the same things still apply. It's just that they've improved and you have better equipment just in terms of technology. I will say several things. When I first started paranormally investigating about 25 years ago, I did have the cassette recorder where you press the play and the record. I think now when you have those DVRs, you know, that are extremely sensitive and you can just plug them into the laptop, that would be a huge change when you're looking at a file, it's easier to edit sound bites of EVPs, electronic voice phenomena, if you've got editing software, rather than your little C90 cassette. Do you see what I mean? And there was a time when obviously you'd have a celluloid film camera and you'd only get 36 shots and it would cost you 15 bucks to get it developed. Mm-hmm. So now we can take baseline tests all around the haunted buildings we're about to investigate and I could take a thousand photographs and then I can delete them all afterwards. Back in the day, of course, you get a limited number of copies of your film and it becomes very expensive. The other thing I discovered 
is that obviously we're looking for anomalies in our photographs and we're looking for shadow people and strange orbs. And a lot of times I had to tell the staff at the photo developing place to just print everything because some 16-year-old kid would look at all the blurry photographs and not bother to print them, right? When that was the stuff I actually wanted. Any thoughts on equipment, Heather? What are you thinking? I was actually thinking if you sent me into a haunted building and you said there were only two pieces, well, let's make it three, three pieces of equipment that you could take with me, it wouldn't be the expensive stuff. To actually ghost hunt, you don't need that much. No. I would prefer a digital voice recorder, which you know is my forte, and a camera, a digital camera, and a a turn screw mag flashlight. That's it. Send me in with just those pieces. That's it. That's all I need. Yeah. So I would think that having electromagnetic detection equipment would really add to an investigation. Is it not as crucial as I think, or how do you use it? I would use it in the sense that it's very good at corroborating what's already there. Yeah. If it just flashed on its own, the electrical magnetic field meters, you might think that's an anomaly. But if suddenly the temperature drops, suddenly, you know, there's voices coming through on the ghost box and the EMF detector goes up, it's kind of a, a, a holistic piece of evidence that you can add to the whole thing, if that makes sense. That, that's exactly right, yeah. Okay, you don't use it like walking from room to room to say, oh, this we, would be a good room. We never use it independently. And I would do that as a psychic. I would walk from room to room, and I would get a sense that the atmosphere in there would be worth investigating. Do you see what I mean? The mm-hmm. EMF detector might back that up. Um, the thing is, EMF is generated naturally by our environment. Just a cell phone going off would spike an EMF reading. Right. You know, the cabling we've got in the studio would do that. And, of course, the Earth has its own electrical magnetic fields, and we do as well as human mm-hmm. beings. It's just such a small reading. It would never register. I would say several things, though. There was a time when we couldn't have thermal imaging cameras. It was like military grade, and they were like oh, five, sure. yeah. $10,000, yeah. and they were the ones that were used to find bodies in earthquakes and stuff like that. And if you see a hostage situation... They had those cameras that would see through walls. You could see the little warm humanoid figures walking around behind the wall. It's amazing that you can buy this stuff off the shelves now. You can plug in a FLIR device into your iPhone and turn it into a thermal imaging camera. Yeah, we have too. So it's interesting that in the last 10 to 15 years, you'd have spent $5,000 on thermal imaging and now you can find it in the toy aisle at Walmart. You can get, you know, do you remember that spy? Um, toys. Spy gear. Spy, spy gear. gear. Yeah, yeah, I used to get a lot of paranormal equipment yeah, from absolutely. the spy gear section of the toy shop. Now, I will tell you, though, even though we have the thermal imaging cameras, and we do use them, we only use them in opportune moments. Because to have your face buried in that thermal imaging camera view screen, you're not noticing the stuff that's going on. You're not noticing the curtain move or do you know what I mean? If you're not focused sure. on it. You're not seeing it. So I don't particularly like using a thermal imaging camera unless there's a lot of things going on at the same time. It's an interesting device when you're having a conversation and you turn it on and you can actually see the spirit standing next to you as a cold humanoid figure. And that's happened. Or an old man sitting in a chair and we knew he was there. Yes. Do you remember I was in the laundry room at the Edinburgh Manor in (sighs) Iowa, the mental asylum, and uh, Scott was sitting in a chair in the laundry room. 
And this has been on Ghost Adventures. Oh, yeah, I think yeah, it was. Yeah. And they ran screaming like girls. Yeah, the first episode of Series 7, I think, if my memory serves something me. Something like that, yeah. But Scott's wearing a pair of shorts and he says to me, there's a dog or something or a cat something around brushy. my legs. Yeah, yeah. I can feel it, it touching a, me. It was a wild opossum. No, <laughs> <laughs> Rabbit raccoon. Well, have you seen how heavy his legs are? No yeah. wonder he, he just thought he was mating, is what was happening. I love you, Scott. Hi, Scott. <laughs> so we turned on the thermal imaging device and you could see a ghost cold blue dog shape around his legs and i said to scott put your hand out and start petting and he started petting and the dog sat down and you could yeah. see the ghost Aww. you could of yeah the, the dog amazing at the same point and i'm sure you're going to get to it you were on the top floor weren't you and you saw or felt three presents in oh hallway. that was the same building yeah. yeah that was an interesting piece of evidence i psychically said there's three women walking down the corridor and uh, we had the thermal imaging device and you saw three humanoid figures walking up the corridor. And then on top of that, they had that SLS camera that's very expensive and it has points of articulation and shows little stick men. Mm -hmm. And Josh in the team took a photograph over my shoulder. So we had a photograph taken with the energy aspect of three humanoid figures on the SLS camera in the same position at the same time. I've got three thermal imaging humanoid mm -hmm. figures and the sole reason we pointed it down the corridor is i said psychically i can see three people walking up That's the right. corridor side by side so you can sense them when they're there but presumably they're also there when you're not there yes what do you suppose those entities are they entities is there a consciousness and if there's a consciousness what do you suppose they do all day knit i am under the impression <laughs> Make crocheting. Right. <laughs> Petting dogs, no doubt. Just flowers. <laughs> I think they genuinely believe that it's the time period they think they're from. So they think it's 1966. Everything around them looks like it's 1966. And for all intensive purposes, it's 1966. So I've spoken to ghosts on many occasions and said, explain what the room looks like. Where's the bed? Where's the cupboard? And what they explain to me and the color of the room and the wallpaper and everything else isn't the room I'm sitting in at that moment. Right. They're describing how the room looked sure. in the period of history that they believe they're currently sat in. Because I would say to the ghost, what year is it? And they'd say it's 1922. And I'd say, what does the room look like? And they'd describe it and they're describing the room they're in looking like it would have done in 1922. Two things I would finally add to that question. I still use the ghost box I got when I first started investigating, and it generates white noise, and it scans the AM and FM frequencies, and you can hear voices coming through. I have had more modern versions. I've got an SB7, an SB12. Mm -hmm. I have the most evidence with that original, early, no-thrills ghost box. And if the house was on fire... <laughs> That's the thing I'm going in to get. They're very expensive because Radio Shack don't make them anymore. Radio Shack does not exist. Right. It was a crappy $12 radio Way that you rewired when. to keep it scanning, and you just can't get them. If I would have bought a box of those 10 years ago, I'd oh, be rich sure. now. They're selling for four or 500 bucks each on eBay. Yeah, and bare minimum is 170 working. Mm. Yeah, Unbelievable. Um, finally, I just want to say that I use very old dvrs because all of the modern dvrs that we just discussed that are all fabulous and singing and dancing have filters on them to get rid of background noise and stuff like that well no. we want the background noise right. so the cheapest rubbishy 
DVR that you can find. An RCA that you can pick up at Walmart that can plug into your USB port would be ideal. And that's about 40 bucks. So there is modern equipment yeah. available, but sometimes the old ways are the best for they those. They are the best. For mm-hmm. those reasons. So that's a great question. We managed to get through quite a lot of interesting anecdotes there. Uh, they go on to say, uh, John and Lisa are asking, what was the very first place we investigated, Miss Morris? Do you mean myself yes. with you or myself ever? Ever. I went to the John H. Stevens house in uh, Minnehaha Falls, Minneapolis, was the very first place. Did wow. you get good evidence? I That was the first time I ever heard an EVP because I didn't know what I was doing. Sure. God, it had to be 17 years ago now. So I bought a bunch of Sony ICD-9, I think, recorders. They're outdated now. You can't put them on a computer. And um, my sister and I went there. We actually took a ghost hunting 101 class. And sure. his, sadly, he's passed away. God rest his soul. Richard Hagen, who investigated all over England. He investigated Borley. Right. He used he would only use magnetic tape and he would only use thirty five millimeter black and white. Well, I think only the uh, earthworks remain at Borley because the whole place yeah. burnt down, didn't mm. it, back in the day? And there's a cemetery there in a the church. He had pictures of nuns that were crossing or something. I can't remember all the mm. stuff he's had. When the house burnt down, they found... Well, let's go back to the beginning. The guy that owned the house, one of the things he claimed he saw was that he was in his chair reading a book and a nun looked through the window from the garden at him and she was holding her jaw. When the house burnt down, they found a skull in amongst all of the ruins and the the ashes and it was a female skull and when they analyzed it the person had a tooth abscess and so they think that was the nun that had the toothache wow that's how that happened so my sister and i investigated this john h stevens house it's a very very small house at minnehaha falls you should all visit it you'll see um we were taking the ghost hunting 101 we set up these expensive recorders at the time around the house and Everybody was quiet. There was only like five or six people there. You could hear somebody in the background going, la, 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 like it was lulling a baby to sleep. Wow. Middle of winter, nobody's at the park area. And then all of a sudden, you can hear this little girl talking in the background, like maybe eight years old. And that's the first time the hairs on the back of my neck raised because I was like, that voice shouldn't be there. But to be more specific, um, the first official ghost hunt I went on was at the Palmer house and that's before the Palmer house blew up and got real big we had the whole Palmer house to ourselves. it was just a group of six of us women neat and uh, my sister and I were up there and then another lady and her sister and another lady and her sister so it was just us six and we were walking around and uh, investigating with recorders and we I caught the most amazing evp i think i've ever heard in my entire life and that was the evp that said are we dead and i think i came running up to you when you first arrived back in the u.s and i said you have to listen to this and you've actually heard it are we dead yeah wow it's a great one isn't it? yeah amazing it's actually pretty loud it's are we dead that's a class a evp my first investigation was very boring it was in a city hall in Luton in Bedfordshire and I teamed up with the Luton Paranormal Society I had no clue what I was doing and they handed me a K2 EMF meter and said walk around and see if there's any anomalies so we were doing baseline tests so I got given the K2 meter 
I remember walking around and doing baseline tests and I remember noticing that one of the windows was broken and I remember saying there's going to be a cold draft coming through that window so if we get any cold areas just consider that you know you're trying to get rid of false positives and I think we sat there all evening for about seven hours with nothing happening this is the want of the paranormal investigator we've got all of these great stories but you have to remember that to get one great story you have to oh, sit yeah. there for eight hours with nothing happening <laughs> right? oh god sometimes more because yeah. you're investigating for eight hours and then if you listen to the audio afterwards that's another eight hours on top of that and you're waiting for a three second clip yeah i would also add to that that in britain we investigate in a completely different way how to they investigate in america and it reflects our using it and stuff this is the sort of thing you've got to do. <laughs> and halfway through, we stop for a meat pie. <laughs> and, tea. and a cup of tea. Um, the two way, the, the country's investigating different ways, and it reflects the country's personalities in Britain. Um, and I got very frustrated with this because I started investigating in Britain and grew up with that. And it's very science-based. It's very sit there in silence for five hours with nothing happening, just writing on a notepad, hardly any equipment, no interaction, just very British, very quiet, very mm. insular, mustn't make a fuss. Do you see what I mean? And then you come over to America and it's all equipment and let's be loud and brash and how you here, come out, show yourself. And I think there's a happy medium between the two. If you don't ask, you don't get is what I've recognized. Yeah. And so when I went back to Britain again after spending time in America, suddenly I'm on the investigations and I've got all this equipment and I'm saying we need to talk to them. And they're looking at me as if I'm mental. <laughs> so there is a happy medium. But that was boring for me. I did a, a city hall in Luton in Bedfordshire and absolutely nothing happened. Michelle, we've dragged you out on a couple of investigations. Definitely. Do you remember the first one you went on? Something that sticks in your mind? Where was that? I think the first one I went on with you was uh, the Redwood Falls Cemetery, which was a very fascinating night. I'm going to hold you there yes. because the next question they asked okay. was, what's the most ah. interesting investigation you've ever been on? And I yeah. suspect for most of us, yeah. that's going to come up. So, Chad, you came with us um, on one investigation. You've been on one, that's right? Yeah, that's right. You was at the Morton Schoolhouse. It was an abandoned school, I think, that was abandoned in 1989. Something like that. It yeah. was a miserable investigation. I mean, it was like 100 degrees with 100% humidity. There was animals running around everywhere. You open one of the classroom doors, and because the windows were broken and the roof was missing, you know, seeds had blown in and the rainwater had come down. And you open the door, and it's like a jungle. Oh, sure. Yeah, there's monkeys running around. I could hear parrots. <laughs> Weren't there bats yeah. flying around? Oh, and there, was, there, was, uh, there was a bat that I suggested we go into the room where it was flying around. Thank and you, you had it. were like, no. No. No, negative. we're not doing that. <laughs> I actually and, uh, stumbled across two Japanese soldiers that thought the war was still on. <laughs> 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 a lot of the team have said to me that's the most haunted building they've ever been in. They've still lots Scott of... Scott does. Yeah. No, no, wait. Scott wasn't Brian. there. Brian, yeah. Yeah, lots of, lots of children in spirit, lots of teachers yeah. still wanting to teach. What was your recollections of that, Chad? I... So, I look for natural explanations for everything. And I remember a lot of asking questions, and then you'd hear the, the building crack, and you'd ask the same question again, and you'd wait until the building would crack. And it, to me, that seems like uh, there's probably more of a natural explanation to this than... Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, that's not evidence at the end of the day. Uh, right. No. Having said that, there's been times when I've said, can you make a noise, and all hell has broken loose, no. and stuff's been thrown around the room. 
but you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, one of the things we do as a top class paranormal team is try and dismiss everything. You know, I'm so skeptical. I know there's teams out there that are the slightest noise or the slightest movement. It's ghosts. It's this. It's that. We we literally try and remove every aspect of that. You know, to the point where you're just left with maybe five percent of evidence that you think, huh. What just I, happened there? I will say one of the things that I, I didn't realize would happen was every time somebody did make a noise on their own, they'd say, oh, that was me. I squeaked in the chair. You know, that was me. I, I moved my foot. There is a sense that when you're playing your audio evidence back three weeks later, if you say, is there anyone here? And your stomach suddenly goes. Right. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, the Antichrist has just sure. arrived. So you do have to own. <laughs> I think it's very funny sometimes that, you know, I would make a squeaky noise and I'd say for the benefit of the DVR, uh, that was Michelle's guts. Yes. So <laughs> that there is uh, room for a bit of hilarity. But yes, we try and own all of our noises so you can trace them back. And it's normally a good idea to get everyone to talk into the DVR before you start. So if you hear any voices, you've already got a baseline of what everyone sounds like sure. in that environment on the DVR. But that was a very interesting building. Perhaps we'll talk about the Morton Schoolhouse uh, in another episode. We did get a lot of evidence, didn't we? Mm -hmm. Some very, very interesting things. You um, had some really cool stories from that building. Yeah, there was uh, an orb that flew through the basement that we mm -hmm. actually saw with our own eyes and it changed shape and changed color. And, and it was got, illuminated. Yeah, and I had a really long conversation. I was in one of the classrooms and I was running the ghost box and I said, who's here? And they said, Foss. And I said, can you confirm that? And they said, Foss, maybe six times in a row. Foss, 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 Foss. I said, did you used to teach you? She said, yes. I said, uh, what did you teach? She said, English. I had a really long conversation. The following day, I went to the Historical Society in Renville County, where Morton is based. And I looked through their files of all their obituaries. And there was an Esther Foss. And she was the English teacher. And she taught in that classroom in 1985. And she was dead. So, again, very interesting evidence. I don't know who used to teach in these places. We're rolling up in small towns in the middle of nowhere here in the Midwest without any idea of who was there or who went to. How could you possibly know every kid and teacher that ever went to that school from Never. 1933 to 1988, 89 would be an impossible task? May I just do a brief story? About none of your stories are brief. <laughs> being, Can being, I ring the bell of it? Uh, might be a story about briefs. So. <laughs> well, I'm willing to listen. Being in the basement, we were with Kevin. God rest his soul. Oh, I yes, love I love Absolutely. love you, Kevin. And uh, we're Ke probably still taking a dollar of his money. Do you know that? I could. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> He's got we it miss direct, you so much. Debit. <laughs> So Kevin was there and I was investigating with him and all of a sudden in the basement we heard this, I think we actually played it on one of the episodes, this really loud predator sound. It's kind of like, I mean, it clicking. was, yes, and it sounded like predator. And so it did it. And then Kevin's sitting off by his own and I'm sitting off by my own in another corner of this big basement. Then all of a sudden it did it again. And at this point, you know, I don't usually scare, but I know that that is no sound I've ever heard before. And then all of a sudden I hear Kevin pop up. If that was you, can you make that noise again? Oh, <laughs> Collectively, everyone in the room was like, shut up. <laughs> shut up, Kevin. <laughs> and all of a sudden it did it right immediately after and was right by him. Oh, my word. Like, I actually Kevin. told that story. 
as the eulogy for his funeral. Oh, <laughs> really? He actually stood up and said and told that story, yeah, amongst many others. And actually, during his funeral, he's laid to rest behind me, and I'm, you know, addressing the congregation. And uh, I said, uh, you know, he will be here with us watching today. He'll be in spirit. And then there was the biggest clap of lightning and thunder you've ever heard oh, in your life. Amazing. And I looked up and said, if you're there, Kevin, just give me a sign, any sign. And everyone was laughing. And I think, you know, that's what he would have wanted. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, absolutely. You know, there was tears and there was laughter during yeah. that service, which I think is uh, a good celebration of anyone's life, to be yeah. honest. Yes. Love you, Kevin. So the next question was, and we, I, I cut Michelle short. What no, was your fine. most interesting inv- uh, investigation? So, Michelle... Um, explain where you was and what we were doing. We were in the Redwood Falls Cemetery to start with at the start of the investigation. In Redwood County. Yes, in Redwood County. And you had been loaned an axe. It's a very long and complicated yes, story. Yes, it is. <laughs> but if I can take it to one sentence, in 1917, March 1917, yes. a farmer allegedly took an axe and cut up and chopped up his entire family. It's one of the biggest axe murders in American history, he killed uh, four of his children, including a three-week infant, yeah, three-week-old baby, and he chopped up his wife, and then he hung himself. Yes, um, the axe—I I genuinely believe he never did it. Um, in the suicide note, he writes it in the third person, like someone's written it for him. So there's some doubts, and I've spoken yes. to him psychically, and he never did it. Well, eventually, the axe ends up at the local museum. So we discovered that himself and his family are buried in Redwood Falls Cemetery. And we know the curator of the museum, and she said we could take the axe to them and do it in a very nice way. We yes. wasn't being mean or nasty. Because no. I explained to him in spirit I didn't think he did it, and I wanted some answers. And I wanted to ask them who did this. And I think it was some transients that were coming through on the local train. Um, but we took the axe... like. The, the ultimate trigger object, taking the axe to the scene, you know, of where some of the murders took place. But that's some background on that. So yes. I do apologize. Not to tell. I appreciate that you did that. Um, yeah. So we had um, the gentleman is buried in a separate plot very far away from his wife and children. Yeah, they, they, they thought it was probably a good idea that the person they thought cut up up the family wasn't buried but it's there's only one cemetery in town right? yes so and it was what 1917 so i'm sure yeah so we started out at his grave and um had very interesting results in my opinion yes he uh he, he spoke to us mm-hmm. yeah it was about the second or third time i've engaged with this guy and had a chat with him for sure and by the way there's an amazing author out there her name's patricia lubeck yes and she's actually written a book that contains the details of this murder in it. So if you're interested, I think it was called uh, Minnesota Murders Mayhem in Minnesota, something along those lines. The three M's. They are three M for Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And then we took the axe over to the wife's grave and where the, also the children are buried. And then things got extraordinarily interesting. Whenever we spend, we spend a lot of time out in the prairie in the middle of the night and at some point, if you do that, that, that year, 2017, I think I did 28 paranormal investigations that mm, year. Yeah. I, I read online sometimes and on Facebook, busy year this year, we did five investigations. Yeah. I'm thinking, wow, I, I did that in three weeks. So if you spend enough time outside in the prairie on clear 
summer evenings at one or two o'clock in the morning at some point whether it be a battlefield or a cemetery or uh, a location of a massacre something like that um we we see very odd and strange things in the sky don't we we saw a, a series of ufos we did all of our equipment suddenly went nuts the emf oh. meter went went bizarre the compass went bizarre the gps guidance couldn't find where we was and couldn't find north the static meter went off Every device, the ghost box started scanning in a way I've never heard before, most pulsing. It was going whoop, 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 whoop. And then we look up and there's this bright yellow ball of orange fire in the sky. Yes. And it went on a really strange kind of uh, trajectory. It was very random. It suddenly dropped maybe 10,000 feet. Then it sped up. It slowed down. It hovered. It did the most bizarre series of movements with all of our equipment going mad which is really interesting because normally if you're studying ufos and ufology it's retrospective you go in after the event and you're looking for trace evidence you're looking for radiation burnt soil things like that very rarely do you have your equipment on and with you that's collecting empirical evidence while the ufo sightings actually taking place is a unique situation and we reported this to mufon and if you want to look it up it's out there, and I can't remember what the case number is off the top of my head, but if you look up Redwood Falls Cemetery UFO, you will find it. And we got interviewed by two field investigators, yes. and they said it was one of the most important and interesting UFO contacts they've ever had. And this is MUFON, you know. Mm -hmm. Is there evidence you have that you can post? Um, there's a very long video, because what happened next is when that um, yeah. UFO went out of sight, and it stayed on film we've got cameras rolling yeah we caught this heather recorded this on a night vision camera because we record our investigation perfect and um what then happened is that we started the paranormal investigation again and after a couple of minutes we noticed a second ufo arrived and this one was bright red and it did the same random and i guess it's not random anymore if it follows the same path right but it followed the crazy path that the first ufo had done and we watched it with the same empirical evidence and the same data and it did exactly the same thing and disappeared again and then i cracked a joke and said wouldn't it be funny if there was a third one and lo and behold two minutes later a yeah. third one arrives in an orange yellow flame does exactly the same thing again and the whole contact lasted 25 minutes it's very interesting that you take an axe that you're holding in your hands that was responsible for the deaths of five innocent people and you're standing in the graveyard over one of the people that died plus the axe murderer himself but it's not the highlight of your investigation I know. we couldn't believe it that is madness any thoughts on that miss morris anything you'd like to add no i covered everything <laughs> i think no. you said enough is that why you wonder if ghosts and UFOs are related? There's so many places they overlap. A ufologist has the same equipment in their case as a paranormal investigator. And I think they use energy in the same ways. I think a ghost needs to think where it wants to be. It thinks itself there because your bones are in the cemetery and your ashes are spread. So you have to think you want to be in your old house to haunt it. You think yourself there. And I think with the way that UFOs move very randomly, like we've just described in our Redwood Falls uh, contact that we had i think they have a system where they think they want to be somewhere so they are so they suddenly appear over here they appear over there you don't see the journey because you don't think of the journey but they overlap aliens as well from uh, abductees that i've interviewed talk to them and communicate <laughs> to them with telepathy i thought you were gonna say you interviewed aliens 
Okay. So it's okay talking to dead people and ghosts, but you, you laugh when Draw we, the line, man. Draw the line at aliens, have you? Abductees say that they get spoken to with uh, psychic skills, telepathy, things sure. like that, which yeah. is, again, the way in which I interact with spirits is very similar. But I've written an entire book on this. It will be out, hopefully, this year. Miss Morris, what was the most interesting investigation you've ever been on? I've been on so many. Now, I have to say... When Adrian was saying, you know, a team would consider themselves lucky if they went on five investigations in three weeks. We did it in three days. That is true. If you remember correctly, our team did it up in Duluth, and I've never been so tired in my entire life. We should be in the Guinness Book of Records. We took a trip up to Duluth. On the Friday night, I think we investigated Fairlawn, which is the giant... No, it was the Masonic Lodge. That's right. We investigated the Masonic Lodge... And, of course, there was a time a Masonic Lodge had never let you in. Now sure. we've given the keys to the place and we can run around. That's right. But it was the Elks Lodge. Yes. And that was in Superior. We did that yeah. Friday night. And then on Saturday during the day, we explored the Meteor. Oh, wait a minute. Did we do six? Keep yeah. going. So we investigated the last well-backed freighter in the whole wide world. No, we did that at night, too. In Superior. We did that during the day. No, we because... went to the split. We did. We went to Split Rock Lighthouse during the. Oh, day. we did Meteor the day on Sunday. That was during the day on Sunday. Yeah. It was during the day. No, yeah, we did an investigation at Split Rock Lighthouse. <laughs> then where did we go? We went to the uh, police and fire brigade museum and the schoolhouse. And we did a schoolhouse. Yeah, and we... then we did Fairlawn. I mean, there was a lot. We did yeah. it all in the middle. We, we of had days. three days, and I think we did five or six big investigations because we all went up there on mass. And we just tried to cover as much ground as we possible. We did. We did. But uh, to answer your question as to what was my most interesting, there have been so many. But the one that sticks out in my mind the most um, was when we went to Pipestone Museum. Yes. Ah. The Pipestone County Museum. Yeah. And I was investigating in the cloakroom with... You Ashley. keep calling it a cloakroom. Uh, it's the textiles room. The textiles room. A cloakroom <laughs> is a small cupboard. You take your coat off and hang it on. There was a bunch of coats in there. Leave me alone. They were, they were First World War and Civil War uniforms. Coats. Oh, they were right. coats. If you're playing the bell, bunk and snore drinking game, they were you can take coats. your first shot of the evening. Wow, drink the bottle would be my advice. Just take it straight out. There was plenty there. Just put it to your lips and chug it. <laughs> the cloakroom. Yes, that, that would be the that would be the Civil That's War adorable. uniforms. <laughs> you can't say investigated the cloakroom. You sound like a numpty. <laughs> yeah, it was a large room a full of really expensive historical cloaks. textiles. <laughs> there was Native, Native American blankets. And they were cloaks. <sighs> Go on. Go anyway. On. I'm back. So oh. that was that, that time stuck out because that was... The first and only time that I looked at my sister, Ashley, and I said, just start writing and I'm just going to start spitting out stuff. And we found out that it was Japanese. You were channeling some Japanese. They had some spoils of war. Soldiers had come back from the Second World War and they'd brought back Japanese flags and Japanese this, that and the other. And uh, Morris was sat there speaking in Japanese and your sister was writing it down phonetically. And when we looked it up, there were actually words that made sense which that's why it stuck out because that shouldn't have happened i don't know japanese yes we get that 
nothing. I know nothing. <laughs> yeah, she barely got a grasp of English. I, I've heard amazing accents from you, though. Yes. Yeah. Well, you've never heard nothing like that. Before. Maybe you got a superpower. I did. I got <laughs> no. Yeah, she's got adult supervision. <laughs> I got bitten by. Oh. I need that. I'm just going to throw in at the last knockings of this question: the Christie House in Long Prairie. Oh God, Todd yes. County. God, the things we got in that house. It was like a giant game of Clue, and we were running from room to room like oh, Scooby Doo. There was yeah. there was uh, poltergeist activity. We had stuff thrown around that we got on camera. Uh, there was a uh, Vitrola that we were playing, and we were getting spikes to the music of the uh, EMF recordings. We had a photograph. You took a photograph of a ghost. Oh, that's my other favorite. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. you took a photograph, and in the mirror. Yeah. Is a gentleman who owned the house but died in 1947 and he's in color and you can see the reflection of his face when you were the only one standing up I there. I was the only one in the attic. Amazing. Have you guys ever been truly, truly frightened? See, we're going to get to these, you see. Oh, sorry. That's okay. Uh, you can jump in now. <laughs> Do you want to answer that? No. No, me neither. I've been, con- <laughs> I've been concerned. There's been times when stuff has happened like one of my investigators got really badly scratched up and thrown around in the basement of the Mounds Theatre in Eastside St. Paul. And at that point, I'm thinking, what do I do next? I'm making management decisions. I'm like, it's my team. Where do we go? How do we get away from this? What happens next? So there's been times when I've started to think that I'm going to be concerned and I'm thinking of plan B and plan C. In actual kind of running, screaming, jumping, nothing. The only time I've jumped is through the living because some idiot sitting next to me in the dark suddenly grabs my thigh right. or coughs in my ear, something like that. One of my, well, our team member, Scott, who's my favorite person in the world. Who doesn't have a subscription to Patreon, we've discovered, so keep going. Yep. Yes, because so <laughs> he is my favorite jumper screamer. Oh, awesome. Yes, and actually he was at the St. James Hotel yeah, in Red Wing. And you, if you want to tell that story, I'll tell the other one up in Duluth. Well, we had a lot of guests. We were taking maybe 70 people yeah. around the hotel. We was in the banqueting room in the basement. Yeah. And we sat there. Absolutely. Yeah. We sat there in the dark. And uh, there's a vault that's there, a very small room, where all the businessmen back in the day would keep all their wares and it would get locked up so stuff didn't get stolen. So Scott hears noises coming from the he vault. Does. <laughs> and he just so he does what every paranormal investigator has done because we're used to working in the dark and we're used to just wandering around in the dark. And so we just got up and said, I'll go and investigate what the noise is. Good and for him. He went yeah. to put a DVR in there to record mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So he just goes wandering off in the darkness. He doesn't take a flashlight with him. So unbeknownst to us, one of the guests decided to get up and follow him because she wants to see as well. (laughs) And she's a small lady of about five foot two. Oh, God. And uh, she follows Scott into this small little vault that's like 10 foot by 10 foot. It's a bank vault. It's really small. So it's pitch black. And uh, he turns around and the woman's just standing there inches (laughs) inches from his face. God, did he scream. Oh, like a girl. Oh, I love it. We made up T-shirts that said, if you make Scott scream, you're in the team. (laughs) The guy's a bundle of nerves now. He had a heart attack as well the following year, I might add. Well, that might have been because when we went up to Duluth and did those many, many investigations In the Fire Station Museum. Yeah, you did that, didn't you? I was in the Fire Station Museum with you, yeah. Yeah, but you did the joke, didn't you? No, that I had nothing to do with oh, this. Oh, yeah, that was nothing. me. Nothing. <laughs> 
I'm the ultimate professional. I've got books to write and shows not, to produce. I'm not. So Scott, <laughs> Scott is the professional because if anybody listened to the podcast, they know that Scott it was an uh, air, he, air traffic controller. Yeah, he retired. Yes. He yeah. retired last year. Oh, and so he was an air traffic controller. So he's very serious and he yeah. loves doing this. He was a full-on skeptic when he first started with us, and now he—I'd say now he's, he's walking just a, a fence. Yeah, yeah. And so um, <laughs> we're doing our baselines, and we're walking around the building to get the feel of it and with all the lights on, mind you. And uh, I tell Scott, Scott, God, I'm feeling something. And mind you, there's a room full of firemen lockers. Yeah, the where the lockers uh, where yeah. the firemen would put their clothes and get changed into their. On uniforms the, or their workwear yeah. on the second floor and I said, there was a pole as well like yes, a right. yeah we really wanted oh, to awesome. try that out didn't we <laughs> there was a long way down there <laughs> it was so i said scott scott i'm really feeling something in that that locker down there you really and he's interested he's like a bloodhound on a scent he's got his k2 out he's got his recorder in his hand and he's getting ready he's like which one are you afraid of and i said that one Second from the end, right, way down there. And so I have somebody with a camera behind me. He opens it up, and I had snuck one of our members. Gloria from Fargo <laughs> was hiding in Oh, the, I love Gloria. Sat, sat I adore locker. her. I'm watching all this pan she out. Awesome, yeah. When he opened the door, he jumped in the air about three to four foot, and his legs never bent. He just went straight up in the air, straight legs. I've never seen anyone clear such a distance with their legs straight. God, I love you. I said to Scott, just just to make this clear, I have nothing to do with this on any level. I said, if any of you ever jump out on me, we're done. Gloria we done. and I were dying. We said it was us. Oh, <laughs> it was us. God. There was an interesting caveat just to add to that story that he went back and played his recordings. And the just seconds before Gloria jumped out on him, he got a ghost in an EVP saying, it's a trick. Yeah, he <gasps> did. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. So... That actually panned out quite well for oh us. Oh, my goodness. It did. But Fun. I thank John and Lisa and Mike as well there for their questions. Mike yeah. goes on to say, I recently slammed my motorbike into a guardrail oh. and totaled it. Oh. I walked away without a single scratch. Help me out. What is God trying to tell me? Who wants to take that one? What's God trying to tell Mike, do you think? Wow. Um, that's interesting. That he's a lucky man. Yeah. yeah. Don't he's got a guardian angel. Yeah. yeah. I... That is really difficult because is yeah. that just human? Is it not? I mean, I guess I would have to. First of all, I'd have to see pictures to right. see how bad the bike is. I mean, if it's just a little tap. But and, it's bad. There's lots of cases there where people say I've got a guardian angel or someone's looking out for me when something bad has happened and they've walked away. I've survived some crazy things in my life, plane mm -hmm. crashes and really bizarre. I feel like I'm here for a reason. Yeah. I, I think I would have to agree with you. Yeah. Obviously, there's a purpose out there for you. Um, if there's anything that I've learned probably within the last seven years, it's that everything, even the bad stuff happens for a reason. You are just not privy to know what it is. It's got to come together. Until it happens. I bet it was an American bike. I mean, you know, if you oh, was, if you was on a Triumph really? or a Norton, I'm sure you'd, you'd be <laughs> fine. You're going to go there. I am. Oh, give me a drink. There was a time if you had a Harley Davidson, you'd just be walking from one mechanic to the next. Japanese. 
<laughs> I've had all kinds of bikes in my life. I've had Suzuki's, Kawasaki's. I've had a Harley Davidson. That wasn't the question. I've got a Honda. Yeah, I, I, I've gone through a fair number <laughs> of bikes in my lifetime. This is true. Schwinn. But apparently, Mike, that's a bicycle from the 50s, you muppet. <laughs> Schwinn. Mike goes on to say, Adrian, you are a very talented broadcaster. Have you ever received formal training in the field of broadcasting? Now, Why are we reading that? I just thought I'd share that with everybody. <laughs> so I'm not going to answer it. Just put it up as an accolade. Chad, do you want to answer that for me? <laughs> Anyone feel free to step in. I've had no formal training. Um, what I will say is that I was a school teacher for 15 years. And being a school teacher sets you up for everything. There's so many people in Hollywood, uh, in the music profession, Sting springs to mind. Yep. The police don't stand so close to me. It was about him being hit on by schoolgirls when he was a teacher, for example. So, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that if you're a teacher, you get you hit have on to stand by schoolgirls. That can happen. That is true. Yes, you know what schoolgirls are like with their first crushes. There was lots of. I will tell you a very I never quick crushed story. A teacher. Well, you, you went to a small school where there was just 15 kids. I went to a school where there was 3,000 of us and there was 800 staff. So there's more variety. Right. But there was a female teacher that was working with me in an art department and there was the two of us. Her name's uh, Liz. And uh, I must have been in my late 20s at the time. And after school, my room was packed full of students doing art club. And when Liz came in, it was just all the girls were in my room doing art. And when I looked in her room, she had... I mean, she was a good-looking woman. She had all boys. And I turned around to her and said, you know, it doesn't matter how we get them in here as long as they're doing their work and they get through their exam, right? So there's lots of students out there that are now adult. I'm friends with them on Facebook. They're in the profession of the arts. They work, you know, as cameramen and studio set designers and fashion designers and photographers and all manner of crazy things, film directors. But, uh, you know, you can mould and shape children's life at a very young age. You must have had a teacher that inspired you at some point to do artwork or be creative to answer mike's question i've had no formal training in broadcasting i think being a teacher holds you in good stead for oh, most yeah, things that. in life but i've been doing <laughs> totally forgot about that question <laughs> can't you tell he I has no formal training been broadcasting for many years now i started yeah. out in the twin cities on an fm station um 10 Twelve years ago, two thousand and eight, I started. Wow. A lot that. of years ago. So I've been, I've been in and around. I, I like to talk. What can I say? You do. I do like to talk. Uh, he goes on to ask, "Do you guys go out and party after the show?" What I would say, <laughs> well, the ladies have to work very early the following morning on yes. Saturday, so that's the first thing. Yeah. But we do hang out together. We uh, often sit around the fire pit. We spent New Year's Eve playing board games. And yes. Uh, so much fun. Eating Cards snacks. Against Humanity. We like to watch full moons when Michelle tells us they are. Yes, we went round to Michelle's <laughs> house last year for an eclipse and she got the wrong time and we were sat there looking up into a sky with nothing happening. That's true. I ran to the grocery store to get the stuff for dinner. To put on the grill. That's right. <laughs> like, meet me here. And it. the eclipse happened while I was in the grocery store. Don't worry, Michelle. There'll be another one in like, three millennia. We're waiting for the eclipse. <laughs> That's all right. There was good drinks. We're good. That's right. So we, we do hang out. We do eat together. Yes. We do frequent each other's houses. Uh, not so much after the show uh, due to the lateness of the show and what we've got to do the following day. But we do hang out and we do have fun. Um, Kevin was one of the people that used to say to me, they're exactly like they are 
in that's real true. life than yeah. Yeah, they are. Because right. this is all I've got. There's no plan B. You're getting me. And I'm like this if you're sitting next to me in a restaurant. This yeah. is all this is all I've got. This is where we are. Barbara has asked a set of questions here. So many thanks to Mike. Barbara has mm. said, have any of the MQTA crew had relatives who were also psychics or had an ability to sense those who had passed on? She goes on to say, thank you for the great shows and the reminders of how great it is to be living in Florida. <laughs> Florida! <laughs> yeah! Florida! Hello, Florida. Michelle, you got any relatives there that contact the dead? Was your great-grandmother sat reading palms or staring into a crystal ball? No, not that I am aware of. Chad, any thoughts? So, my family is either traditional, well, uh, not traditional Mennonite, like horse and buggy style, but uh, like traditionally religious Mennonite. So you can see through a hole in a sheet is what you're telling us. It's It was kind of amazing. Nobody saw it. Um, from either side, <laughs> Great. or uh, or traditionally Lutheran, and um, that's not the kind of thing we would talk about. Even exactly. if we had that, yeah, uh, had that, that wouldn't ability. that would have been my grandma upon. did. Morris yeah? is jumping in. Tell us about your grandmother, Grandmother Ogren. No, Grandma Ogren came to visit me when she passed away, but that's a long story, so I won't tell you that one. But I will tell you that she told me her great great grandma. Uh, Grandma Clara, I believe it was, was clairvoyant. Yeah. Hmm. I don't have many stories about that. That's all I know, but. I suspect I come from a long line of clairvoyance. Uh, My family tree, my ancestry and all my DNA and everything I've researched. I'm a gypsy, like a Romany gypsy um, from Eastern Europe originally. And of course, the Romany gypsies back in the day would read your fortune. They'd have a crystal ball. I almost guarantee um that they were doing that my seventh great grandfather was johnny lee and he was actually the king of the gypsies i am a direct descendant to the king of the gypsies and if you've ever seen me i've got black eyes black well it's going gray now but it used to be black which is really unusual for for a brit you know i've got olive skin if i go out in the sun which is my gypsy ancestry so i do think that would have happened the only thing i would add to that is that i've got a uh cousin a uh, distant cousin from my granddad's sister's family and her name's Tracy and she always used to tell me that she had a sense of things or she would you know think things uh, and they would happen and she said at one point when her dad died um, a humanoid figure suddenly appeared in smoke like cigar smoke in the lounge and uh, she quickly just kind of dispersed it with her hands and got rid of it so she's had moments she tells me a really funny story that has nothing to do with ghosts but they was on a um fairground ride like a roller coaster and one of the people on the roller coasters was wearing a wig and during the ride the no. wig came off and she was screaming because she thought someone had been decapitated <laughs> <laughs> oh, so when I, when awesome. I think of uh, aunt tracy or cousin tracy that's that's what i recall so there is some uh, sense that that's happened in my background but um similar to chad but with a different genre all my parents uh all my parents both of them are very science orientated they want to deal with facts and i'm sure i'm a constant disappointment to them <laughs> so i grew up in a very secular we had this conversation yesterday chad right yeah. but i grew up in a very atheist secular science-based family and i found um a, a bit of religion and mysticism and a sense of the paranormal and the metaphysical 
through my experiences where I come from that background. And if I don't want to talk on your behalf, Chad. But yeah, right. Where as, as I was very much the opposite, like I grew up in the church, I was in Bible Bowl. And then when I got to uh, actually about to graduate school and started studying the philosophy of science, I was like, wait a minute, maybe there's more natural explanations for these phenomena. See, and I think there's some middle ground between both of those positions. Probably. So uh, that would be uh, a very good question. Thank you, Barbara, in Florida for that. We appreciate that. Elizabeth has said, what was your scariest interaction you've ever had with a spirit? And I think we've covered that to a degree. The only other thing I would add, it's always very chilling for me when a spirit shouts my name out. So I haven't introduced myself. I haven't said who I am. I turn on the ghost box and... uh, being in the lobby of the Chase on the Lake Resort would be one example. And uh, the Soap Factory in Minneapolis would be another. Ghost of Rocky. There. Adrian! Oh! Wow. We went there, didn't we? We went there. I yeah. couldn't help it. There you go. That's uh, Todd just chipping in there with the two ideas. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you sit there and you're in the darkness and it goes, Adrian. And like, yeah. you've got my attention. Do you see what I mean? You, I now know mm-hmm. you've got my attention. I think one other thing that was kind of a little bit, not scary, because I'm not scared, but I had a fight or flight moment uh, in the bar of the Palmer House. And it was the first investigation I ever did in this country. We landed at Minneapolis Airport and I got a car and we went two hours north up 94 to Salk Centre. And it was the first investigation I did here. And I, I, I went down into the basement and I've got an EVP where one of the ghosts shouted out, F off, lie me. Oh my! Um, but they didn't say F. They used the full usage of the word. And I thought, welcome to America. You've got to remember, if I go to places like Fort Snelling, which was a fort built yes. in 1821, to keep the Brits out of Canada, there's some ghosts knocking around that consider me to be the enemy. Oh, sure. So I did get an F off down there straight off the bat. But in the bar, I was standing there and all the equipment suddenly lit up. EMF meters, static meters. I knew something was imminent. You get a feeling that something's about to happen and you brace yourself. The atmosphere changes. You can just tell. You know, so there's many a time I'd say to my team, it's imminent. Something's going to arrive. And then five seconds later, you know, all hell breaks loose. <laughs> but I'm standing there. The lights are going off. Stuff's going to happen. I stand there waiting for it. And suddenly that gray, smoky humanoid figure arrives. It looked like the back of a bus when you turn the ignition on and you get that first puff of dirty dirty smoke coming out and it was almost like star trek where it's trying to manifest itself like you get the transporter and this gray humanoid figure appears it starts walking towards me and so i've now got a choice to make it's as far away from me as todd's now sitting yes and i clench my (laughs) fist and i'm thinking well i'm not going to run because i've spent all my life waiting for this it's like if you're a bird spotter you spend all your life in a hide in a tent in a field and then when the lesser spotted alpine club sparrow appears in full summer colours, you then don't go running because it's the sole reason you've spent all that time waiting. So I did clench my fists and brace myself and it got to within a foot of me and just dissipated. And then seconds later, I'm trying to process what's just happened and I step backwards and it manifested again for a second time and started walking towards me and it dissipated again and never appeared for the third time. But that was a moment where I was kind of thinking, okay, what do I do? What's going to happen next? And I kind of stood there bravely and and stood my ground, and we kind of stared at each other. You know, and we were more than six inches apart. So that was a very interesting encounter. And I had a film crew with me. I turned around to them and said, did you just see all that? And they sat there with their jaws on the floor. So I'm thinking, okay, 
I guess you saw that as well. The end of that story is very interesting because there was a hotelier who owned that hotel in the 1970s, and his name's Al Tingley. And he actually wrote a book. It's very difficult to get hold of. If you ever see a copy, buy it. They're very expensive. Um, He wrote a book called Corner of Main Street, and he wrote about his experiences of running a hotel in the 70s. And in Chapter 9... Uh, in the 1970s he actually described seeing the same smoky humanoid figure walking down the first floor corridor so he corroborated Mm. my story and I only found that evidence afterwards I remember sitting in bed and reading that book and when I read about the humanoid figure he explained it and it was exactly the figure I had seen and all the hairs on the back of my neck went up and it's like wow so that was an interesting moment so when you see an apparition, are they generally smoky like that, or do you see them in other forms? They're, they're in all forms. They could sit there like you are now, and I'm sure people walk past ghosts during the course of the day and don't even realize they've walked past a ghost because they look like you and me. Then you get shadow figures, of course, that are just black, and there's a debate about what that is if they are perhaps not manifesting themselves because they don't have enough energy or whatever dimension they're from, the light hasn't traveled with them and you get smoky figures you also get um figures that are see-through and translucent diaphanous is a good word i need points for that (laughs) and uh so you get a full range this goes back to my ufo stuff you know there's a list of how ufos appear where first of all there's a fuss and something's happening and the atmosphere changes and you know something's imminent well that happens with ufos and that happens with ghosts secondly something appears it's see-through it's translucent it's not quite there Well, that happens with UFOs, that happens with ghosts. On the third point, suddenly they appear solid and they look real, like I've just described us looking there. So you see a UFO and it's real, it's solid. You see a ghost, you could mistake it for a human. So they're sharing that. In the fourth instance, the mass then arrives. So a UFO in between point three and point four has had to put on some sort of anti-gravity device or some sort of propulsion because the mass then arrives last and a ghost must do the same because in the third instant they can walk through walls and they can be uh, in spirit but you can see them but in the fourth instant it can pick things up it can scratch me it can push me down the stairs so it must choose again between point three and point four between appearing solid but then the mass arriving after that point so they share lots of points on that scale as well Uh, She goes on to say, how has that affected you? I mentioned the hairs on the back of my neck went up, but nothing in terms of long term. Has anything affected you from your ghost hunts? Is there anything you've seen that you kind of take with you and carry with you as baggage, perhaps? No, nothing. But I will tell people the way it actually feels when you notice something is in the room or something's about to happen was actually in Chad and Michelle, you can attest to this. It feels like right before the lightning strike. Yep. That's what it feels like. Yes. Well, there's, we've recorded energy suddenly spiking and suddenly, if you're going to throw things around and open and slam doors, that requires energy. I mean, that's where me and Chad can meet at that point and say, yes, that will require energy. Sure. So, you know, there are, there are, uh, is a sense that energy is required for all of these things. So thank you for that, Elizabeth. We appreciate that and we appreciate your support. Kathy, a good friend of the show based in Minneapolis has said, Who were your mentors for becoming an author or a historian or a ghost hunter? So who were our mentors? Um, As being an author, I mean, my mentors to a degree 
and my publisher and my editor. I mean, I have great respect for my publisher and my editor. You know, they've got backgrounds in English at the highest level, and I do look up to them, and they know far more about the English language than I do. I'm just a historian, you know, who's trying to distinguish between two clauses in a sentence with a semicolon. So they help me enormously, and they say I'm very coachable. And uh, my writing's improved no end in the last 10 years on the back of their input. Um, has been incredible. So I'm a much, much better writer for having uh, Gary Lindbergh and Ian Leesk as part of my team and part of my publishing house. So I really appreciate the work they do. Um, in terms of ghost hunting, I would say that the team I kind of cut my teeth with, uh, the Loot and Paranormal Society, um, showed me the ropes and showed me the things I should be doing all those years ago. So I think a shout out to the Loot and Paranormal Society, LPS. They still exist in north london so again that would be um someone that i would hold up or a team of people i would hold up as being very very professional my professionalism and the way in which i go about doing things i think if i'd have joined a team that was a mar and par team that were just messing around you know in someone's trailer park i'd have probably not come to this in the way i come to it now in such a professional academic manner i guess what, what are your thoughts heather on that mm, i would have to say my grandmother was the one that instilled it in me. She used to get me books on Irish ghost tales that I used to page through. And she's the one that made me the promise that someday, if either one of us should die, that we'd come back to let the other one know that they're okay. And unfortunately, she was the first one to go and she let me know. Just in life in general, Michelle, who would you hold up as someone in your life who's been an influence on what you do, do you think? Um, my grandmother, too, on my father's side, was a huge influence on me. She was a teacher. Right. So I always, looking back, her little house was like a magic place. There right. was always experiments and drawing and painting and books and she, she stories. Was a, she was an and, alchemist, is what you're telling oh, me. Oh, eclectic. She was, a, she was amazing. What about you, Chad? Who was an influence on you? You obviously studied psychology, but you've done sciences as well. Who would you hold up as an influence in your life? Now, along the uh, along these lines, the doctor of psychology that probably influenced my writing the most and will probably help most people write the most clearly is Dr. Judy Masali from uh, Truman State University in Kirksville, Missouri. And she had us write never using the verb to be so is was be were am or the helping verbs along with it right. and that means that you have to say i did this not this was done and if you try and write in that fashion it's so much easier to understand again you're you're writing um papers that are documents that are psychology science papers big difference uh from from writing uh, history for example i guess oh true one of the things my publisher constantly uh complains about about and i've been working on this for the longest time is i write in a passive language which i think is very british that's actually what uh she was talking right. about so avoiding those verbs right. will stop you from using the passive voice what i'm doing when i do my writing is every sentence i write I remember SOA, SOA, son of a, you know, mm -hmm. but it's subject, object, action, subject, exactly. object, action, all the way through. And I think that's helped me enormously. But I think I, most Brits write in a passive language because we're very polite. We don't want to yeah. bother anyone. Do you know what I mean? 
So I do think uh, there's an element of that. We're covering a lot of different things tonight, aren't yes. we? Kathy goes on to say, what's the best place in the world you've ever visited and why? So this doesn't have to be paranormal. Where's the best place you've ever been? If I said to you, where would you like to go back to? Or I'm going on vacation or there's somewhere I'd like to visit. You're looking very quizzical around the room now. <laughs> Who wants to jump in? Who wants to make a start? Any thoughts? Where would you go, Chad? If I said to you, what's the best place you've ever visited? Where would you direct me to? What would you say? I'd say uh, I probably like Red Rock Ridge quite a bit. Right. It's... Uh... It's a natural formation around the area. It's got a 30-foot drop on uh, on Red Rock. Uh, we used to dive off of that cliff into the uh, the river below. I don't recommend it. It's not safe. I've seen kids do that. It's yeah. a fair old distance from top to bottom, right? Right, right. But... Um, that's the place that jumps right to mind. I mean, I've I've been places further than thirty five miles from home. <laughs> it is a <laughs> but, spiritual but I place. do like that area. I think there's petroglyphs carved onto those rocks right. by the yes, uh, there are. very yeah. earliest Aborigine people that arrived here, and I've seen them. There's a fish carved onto the rocks mm-hmm. up there, which I think probably means this is a good site for fishing for other people to come along afterwards that are very nomadic of course and i think there's a rumor that jesse james hid some gold up there oh, or in some the cave. such thing <laughs> but if you live in minnesota jesse james has been everywhere and hid everywhere yes, right. yes. he's I went my to, relative yes mm. you are related to jesse james aren't you yes i got marie antoinette she's uh, i'm related to marie antoinette let them eat cake now let me chop <laughs> off your head mm. the other one i was related to i found out through dna testing was copernicus Wow. I didn't think that was huh. the end of Polish? the world. Polish? Polish? Isn't he Polish? I thought he was Italian, right. wasn't he? We're going to have to look that out. Chad's going to work on yeah. that while we continue Game with on. this show. But um, I like... Um, I've travelled to 32 countries and I've been all over the world. And so I'm going to narrow this down just for half a minute. I loved India. I was really disappointed when I left India. What an amazing mm. country. The food, the people the landscape when i was sat on the plane ready to leave india normally when you're going home you're thinking well there's no place like home i was sad to leave india i loved florence i loved italy my background and my my qualifications are in renaissance art so i love florence i love tuscany arezzo uh, pisa via reggio luca siena i mean just the most amazing you're just saying random names yes this is the uh the italian back four for the last world cup is what i've just quoted there i liked berlin i will say that amsterdam's a fabulous place to be so if uh, you could narrow it down to one to one uh, florence probably okay. i i think i'd probably go with oh i tell you what i'm going to change my mind oh, i love prague in the czech republic uh, Get out to Prague. It's a medieval town that's made up of five little towns, and it's so far east that the Allied bombers couldn't reach it. So it's actually stayed intact, you know. So that's worth. If you get a chance to go to Prague in the Czech Republic, um, you won't be disappointed. Michelle, where would you go? I'm with you, Adrian, and I would go right back to northern Italy, Mm -hmm. and I would go back to Florence if I could, and I will someday. I loved Venice. Venice to me is like a a whole nother world, gauzy and beautiful. 
the only trouble with Venice is a it's packed full of yes. tourists and, yeah. and b it smells of sewage. So if you remove those two things, it would be great to walk around on your own, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be a joy. What are your thoughts, Morris? Where would you like to be? Where's the best place you visited and why? Um, I'd say the best place I ever visited, um, besides Disneyland. La, 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 la. <laughs> it's a small world of <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I love caves. Take me to any caves. Anywhere. You are a troglodyte, aren't you? You want to live I, underground. Mm. I would. I totally would. My favorite cave is Ruby Falls. I think um, Kathy was uh, suggesting that perhaps the best place we visited paranormally, but I think we've covered that. Oh. So I thought it'd oh, be yeah. fun yeah. to just step in and say anywhere in the world. Ruby Falls. To be left in there that's to do Tennessee. an investigation. That yeah, would be amazing. That's, uh, that's in Tennessee, isn't it? Is I think right? so, yeah. Yeah, that would be a great place to be as well. She goes on to say, what is the greatest mystery you would like to see solved? I think for me personally, the Jack the Ripper murders. Oh. That was uh, an area that my family come from. They lived around the streets of Whitechapel in the 1880s. And I've been all around that area. That's where I'm from. My DNA's got that running through it. And I think that would be... You'd be hard pushed to find a mystery that's deeper or more known than Jack the Ripper, wouldn't you? I guess you could... Area 51. Yeah, the Kennedy assassinations. Yeah. Yeah. Agatha Christie going missing in the 1930s for 11 days. Lindbergh baby. Yeah, there is a Amelia Earhart. Oh, we're getting quite a few. Anyone else <laughs> want to throw in a mystery that they'd like to see solved? Oh, yeah. What's his Why name? people eating Taco Bell? Wow. First use of the inappropriate bell tonight. They are. Everyone's got their brains ticking yeah. over. So they're worrying. You need a can of WD-40. I'd like to solve some of the uh, Curse of Oak Island stuff. Oh, my God. Don't even start with me. <laughs> We could be there for some time. A final question. What keeps us awake at night? Anything keeping you awake at night? Sugary drinks. <laughs> no, nothing keeps me awake at night, except I still don't like keeping my foot off the edge of the bed in case something grabs it from underneath. I have a recurring dream. I think I've got post-traumatic stress disorder. Of losing teeth. From teaching, being in my teaching career. I taught in some of the roughest schools in East London, and I became a super teacher, and I had to go into schools that were failing with a SWAT team. And they were difficult schools. People were being stabbed. There was arson. I mean, it was the worst of the worst. And at least once a month, I have a dream about being in a classroom with a group of kids I can't control. You told me once a month you at least have a dream about losing teeth. That is true as well. I have dreams where my teeth are kind of crumbling and falling out. But if you uh, suddenly went to a book on dream analysis, I think it has to do with change, things changing, things being renewed. I can make that dream become a reality. Well, by knocking my teeth out. <laughs> oh. well, to the moon. What keeps you awake at night, Michelle? Squirrels in the bathroom, probably. In the toilet. The Squirrels toilet. in the toilet will do it. Hairy men. Hairy men. Mm-hmm. Um, a cat that likes to lick my hair. Wow, that's a strange cat. Wow, mm. nice. What hair? The hair on your head? Yes. <laughs> okay. Jesus. <laughs> wow, that's the knot for your mother and the right. patron special. We've got a psychologist in the room. Here's a chance to open up and say what keeps you awake at night. I have a recurring dream too, but it's of drowning. Oh, my. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Same dream. 
I, I haven't had it for a long time. That is a common dream, though. Isn't probably it? have it tonight now. <laughs> do you believe in dream analysis? Is that something you would go towards? I don't. From a behavioral perspective, it's just not something you can prove or uh, have much evidence to back up. So, because you'd have to base something in theory and not be able to analyze it with a control group. You just you wouldn't look at dream analysis. So if you're looking at people like Jung and Freud, they've got you wouldn't look at those as from a psychology perspective and think you know because they're not dealing with things that are tangible. I guess precisely behavioral theory like Harlow, Harlow's monkey, and stuff like that. Is that right? So if you would look at say Freud from a behavioral perspective, you'd say how do you prove that an id ego and super ego exist? You can't, and yeah, you just can't. So, therefore, it's not useful to study from the behavioral sure, side. Sure, but for somebody who wants to prove that ghosts and UFOs exist, it's better than what we've got. Do you see what I mean? There's a model that fits quite well, but in terms, there's nothing else. Do you see what I mean? Is there anything else that can replace that? It's not, it's not tangible. We're dealing with things that can't be... They're abstract, aren't they? These are abstract thoughts that can't be held, can't be analyzed, can't be touched, can't be weighed. Do you see so what I mean? With ghosts and certainly UFOs, you can prove those exist. Sure. Um, with with ghosts, if you have controlled situations, you should be able to prove that those do or do not exist. I think but... these are coming closer. I think these days uh, are getting closer that we've got a position where we can prove that these things exist. We're going to finish Heater, our good friend. Oh, uh, hello, Heater. Awesome. And follower in New York. Thank you, Kathy, for those questions, by the way. He asked one question. Black. I think he wants to build a diorama or some sort of 3D model. Oh, God. Huh? Oh, my God. That's awesome. What does the studio look like? Where is everybody sitting? Is Miss Morris really in another room behind a window? Not a window. So let, let's Brick wall. feel free to chip in. But we're in a studio. Yeah. I'd say it was probably, what, 20 foot by 20 foot. Would that be a good guess? Something yeah. smaller than that. I a little think. smaller. A little than smaller, that. but. We've got a table in front of us. It's square. It's a big table. Yep. That's the table. We've got um, soundproofing all around us. There is a system in the ceiling that looks like little twinkly uh, stars and fairy yeah. lights, which is quite sweet. But we've got black, uh, what would you call these curtains? Are they noise suppressing? Would yeah, insulator. Good, yeah, noise, noise suppressing yeah. curtains. They're almost like the light suppressing curtains that you yeah. might buy. Sure. They're very thick. I guess that's the key. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got wiring coming down from the beams of the ceiling that stretches to our microphones. And we all sat here around the square table chad is sitting opposite me to the point that if i reach my arm out i could probably shake his hand so we're that far away i've got miss curry to my left and i often flick her ear and uh, fiddle around with her notes so she's to my (laughs) left chad sat opposite me i've got a little um light i guess what was an angle poise lamp that kind of sits here in front of my inappropriate bell and i've got my script and your martin gong we're gonna send in yeah we're going to send, we're going to have to send him some photographs. We can, yeah. Um, but we're sat in a spotlight in a dark room, uh, I guess, is where we are um, with the cabling. We've got uh, microphones in front of us that are on retort stands and we can adjust them and so forth. There's a, um, Michelle's got a, Michelle's very kind of poppy when she talks. She's got a mm-hmm. pop filter pop, 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 over pop the top filter. of her microphone. Now, Miss Morris yeah. is some distance away. Yeah. There is no window, but you are in a little uh, separate booth over I'm there. I'm raised by about two feet, and I'm in a hole. Yes, so she's in a separate 
um, part of the room. I mean, you're not a million miles away. I mean, Chad has often got up to hand you cookies. Weird and food from food. 10 <laughs> foot away. She's 10 feet away, so she's got a mic. You can't see my cubes. gestures. Yeah, which she's giving me the finger right now. Yeah. <laughs> but you're sat over there. Well, obviously, we're hearing one another through the headphones, but you are in a, in a corner, aren't you? Yeah, you're in a separate alcove. There's a separate, yeah. if you imagine a square room with a lo- little tiny rectangle coming off of it. With an outhouse attached to it. That's me. Yes. Yeah, mm. it's about like an elevated closet. Yes. Or a elevated water closet outhouse. In your case. Yeah. <laughs> Sat on the toilet over there. Look at a straining. You need to eat more fiber, Morris. Uh. Is that my bucket? Yep. <laughs> That's the red bucket they use on the Curse of Oak Island. Red bucket of love. So you're sat in front of a computer. Yeah, with my bubba keg. She's got a bubba yeah. keg full of... What are you drinking tonight? Anything you'd like to share? What's that? I am drinking coconut rum with cranberry raspberry juice and orange juice. Thank you. Very mm. exotic. And she has her computer in front of you. You've got the soundboard. You've got mm. the amp. What are the things you've got over there? You've got a whole collection of I've wiring. I've got a soundboard, a mic board, a ginormous touch computer, and a keyboard and a mouse. Around the edge of the and studio as I got well. This. You've got a whistle. <laughs> <laughs> the crap and rubbish you've got over there. I got there. this and, and I got I'm, that. And I've got that freaking gorilla we've had here for like I two love years. Him. <laughs> yeah, I love that gorilla. There's a stuffed gorilla over there. We've got some chairs scattered around the studio mm-hmm. as well. We often have guests come yeah, in. We do. we do. And they watch the show or they sit in the background. We've got a series of clocks. Do you have the clocks that says like New York, mm-hmm. London, Tokyo? I mean, they've yeah. never worked. No. But we. <laughs> We have that, and uh, you're burning a candle in here. Is it a scent candle of some description? Uh, yeah, I've got a, I think it's a dragon's blood candle oh, burning. From the Fest. Thank you. And then I've also got the spooky doll of doom on the bookshelf. Yeah. Where um, I think yeah. we've. It's not a bookshelf. There's leads and there's microphones and yeah, things on yeah. there. I seriously think that was on my mom's rummage sale. Honestly, I don't think it could have been because I think I picked her up coming back from Ruby's Falls. And the thing is, she's like this ancient doll and her eyes have literally rolled in the back of her head. So all you see is these little slits. Yeah, I, I'm she looks... seeing over Chad's left shoulder a creepy Victorian china oh, doll. Oh yeah, she has like a christening gown on that's like three foot long and uh, she's just weird one thing i'm just going to add before we wrap up is that all of your letters of support all yes. of your christmas cards uh we've got a painting that martin in new york has done for us everything we've been sent we've basically pinned to the wooden rafters around the ceiling and uh, people that come into the studio yeah. have also signed an autograph it's a two by things. four by 12 beam it's holding up upstairs is what it's doing Something in the like other that? yeah but we're in we're in the bowels we're in the the bottom of the studio here but yes if that gives you a good idea i think we've described that very well photographs yes. can be taken we, if we, we reach, will uh, take photographs if we reach a hundred dollars you forgot the, the dehumidifier. The dehumidifier <laughs> that I've never what, seen. What every, what every Minnesotan <laughs> building needs to have, right? <laughs> the essential Minnesotan hardware is the dehumidifier. Anything anyone wants to add? No, thank you. Just Fabulous. thank you, everyone, no. so much. We right. we love each and every one of you, and, and thank we, you so much for your support. Well, we appreciate it. All good mm. things come to an end, so many thanks to Michelle Corrie, Chad Peters, Heather Morris and myself. Thank you for your continued support. If people are interested in what we do and they love the answers, perhaps we can do this again on a more 
regular basis. Once a month, maybe. You can tell your friends and family about the show, of course. Why why not cut and paste what we do and advertise that to your friends and family? If you can get your friends and family involved in what we do, we'd be very grateful. And if you can get your friends and family to sign back up on Facebook onto the new More Questions and Answers Yeah, Facebook have introduced a system (laughs) where if you haven't commented on a site for a year they just remove you that's so we, right we yesterday huh. we had 6200 followers we've now got 3800 which is still a big number it is but it still is. but if yeah. you don't if you didn't comment for a year you just get removed so that's not right i know right they're doing a lot of things facebook i think yeah. they're backtracking on a lot of stuff after dropping the ball quite severely but we haven't yes. got time to, to be go into that. all of that shenanigans. Well, all good things come to an end. Do not mm. fear, listener. Remember, we are back with a whole new bunch of stories next week at the same time. And I would love for you to join me for a fun and informative journey through the world of the paranormal, strange, intriguing, bizarre and weird. Please tell your friends and family about the show. And feel free to contact me anytime via my Facebook site. More questions than answers with Adrian Lee. Or you can join my Twitter account at Adrian underscore Lee underscore tips. And remember, we love reading your messages of support and your letters. So keep them coming in. That's my favorite part of the show. You can now jump over as you hear our German outro music onto SoundCloud, where you can hear us do an extra 20 to 25 minutes of filth in the studio, 100% free. My gratitude and greatest thanks are extended to Lorna Hunter, Heather Morris, Tom Drainer, Michelle Curry, Chad Peters, and all of the International Paranormal Society and Paranormal.net. And all of the show's sponsors, including the Lakes Area, Paranormal Interest Group, and MUFON, of Minnesota. You've been listening to more questions than answers, the only paranormal news quiz show anywhere in the world. With your host Adrian Lee, we are of course the very best in paranormal news radio entertainment, the light before the darkness. It just remains for me to say thank you for listening and remember be interesting and interesting. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> I told you that soda was playing havoc with my guts, didn't I? But no one listened.